us hear about a path toward freedom. It comes to us from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. And then the letter, the first letter of John, chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. Listen and hear how God is still speaking through this ancient text. Brothers and sisters, become imitators of me and watch those who live this way. You can use us as models. As I have told you many times and now say with deep sadness, many people live as the enemies of the cross. Their lives end with destruction. Their God is their stomach. And they take pride in their disgrace because their thoughts focus on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. We look forward to a savior that comes from there the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our humble bodies so that they are like his glorious body, by the power that also makes him able to subject all things to himself. Then from 1 John. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Everything that is in the world, the craving for whatever the body feels, the craving for whatever the eyes see, and the arrogant pride in one's possessions is not of the Father, but is of the world. This is the word of God. For the people of God, we say together, thanks be to God. Will you please pray with me and for me? Holy Spirit, you are here. Holy Spirit, speak to us as a church community and speak the word that each of us individually needs to hear. Holy Spirit, may all that I say point us toward greater union and intimacy with you, the lover of our souls. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was having a bit of a rough day. I was feeling down and pretty frustrated. So when evening rolled around, I knew the one thing that would make me feel better. One of those ice cream cones that we had just gotten from the Schwan Man. If you haven't had their ice cream cones before, friends, they are legit. And that was just what the doctor had ordered for me. I was getting all excited and happy, started to walk to the freezer to get my ice cream cone. Then all of a sudden something popped into my mind. I had been reading about gluttony earlier in the day in preparation for this very me message, which reading about gluttony was surprisingly not the rough part of my day. So as I was sitting there preparing to get my ice cream cone, I went, oh, 
My first instinct after a long day was to go to food to comfort me. Gluttony had struck. Gluttony, as defined by Rebecca DeYoung, is when we feed our faces but starve our hearts. In that moment, I had realized that I was going to food rather than to God to heal the frustration in my heart. Now friends, hear the good news. There's nothing wrong with ice cream cones. In fact, I'm fairly certain I had one the very next day. But when we go to any type of object, whether it's food or, as we'll talk about later, sexual cravings, that's, that's problematic for our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with God, and our relationship with others. Gluttony and lust. They take two of the greatest gifts God has given us, food and sex. And we use them for our own self-gratification. They are fuel for our own cravings. Now, gluttony and lust definitely show up in areas beyond food and sex. But at least in our culture, they are most prevalent in food and sex. Gluttony and lust occur when we trade our God-given wiring as a relational being, as a being who is meant for connection with others, and we trade it for a belief that the only way to experience pleasure in our life is if we gratify ourselves, is if we focus on me and my. And gluttony goes beyond just how much we eat. It's not just an external thing, thankfully. Even though society will try to tell us that, you know, you, the way to avoid gluttony is just by being this picture-perfect body. Gluttony is about why we eat. Why do we feel the need to focus so much on food in our lives? Why does our greatest pleasure come from what we're going to eat and when? Now again, resisting gluttony doesn't mean we all become skinny and have that alleged perfect body according to society's standards. Gluttony isn't about the external. God rejects the idea that a perfect body is what we see in the magazines and the checkout lines at the grocery stores. Gluttony is rather about our relationship with food and our desire for it and whether we can give it up if it's damaging to ourselves, to our relationship with others, or our relationship with God. Gluttony and lust grab a hold of us when food and sex become not something we enjoy as a gift from God, but are now a drug where we need our fix. 
Let's just think about our society the past year. I'm going to admit I love to eat out. Quite frankly, I did it too much before I was married, probably to a gluttony degree. But our world has lost their collective mind, it feels like, because we told them that they could no longer go out and get their favorite dishes inside a restaurant building. I think that's something we should reflect on. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't go out and enjoy a meal out at our favorite restaurant either but to reflect on if we're structuring our whole social life out of it. For example, my date night with Bree, is it about going to a restaurant or is it about spending time with my beloved wife? And clearly, obviously, we need food to survive, right? And God gave us food to enjoy, and the same thing with sex. And I see the, this truth all the way back in the beginning of Genesis. God made food taste delicious so that we could enjoy this gift. God, God didn't have to give us the ability to taste things. God didn't have to give us um, the ability to make food delicious. God didn't have to do that. But God has given us that gift. It is when we abuse that gift for our own pleasure alone that we go awry. And when trying to discern whether gluttony is an issue for us, we should not ask ourselves whether we're eating too much, but rather how dominated are we by the desire for food? Or more specifically, again, how difficult would it be to be able to go without it? And here are three guidelines from Dion on how to maybe discern if we're struggling with gluttony. First, if our desire for food is impairing our physical health. Now, gluttony, again, isn't an external standard. But our physical health does matter to God and hopefully to ourselves. That's the first guideline on if gluttony is a problem. Is it damaging our physical health? The second is if our desire is doing damage to others or some sort of stumbling block in their spiritual lives. For example, what I think of is... Um, you're allowed to have a drink, but what if you live or are around someone consistently who's an alcoholic? Can you then give it up so that you are not a stumbling block for them in their own lives? And the third guideline is, is our desire for food keeping us from our purpose in the world? Are we focusing so much on food in our lives that we that it we are letting it impact the mission that God has given us? When our God is our stomach, and that may mean physical stomach or just a bodily craving, like it's written in our passage from Philippians, the love of neighbor 
the love for others, for serving others, becomes secondary to our own desires. When we can't give up our desires, if they are doing harm to ourselves or others, then it may be time to have a talk with God and some trusted friends. Now here's a confessed humorous of example of that, that, at least for me, it's a little too close to home. Comedian Jim Gaffigan. He is delightful. He is hilarious. Um, he's even a person of faith. And, I, and if you've never listened to him, I think you should look him up. But I think Mr. Gaffigan, like a lot of us, might have a struggle with gluttony. Because in his uh, bits, he talks about fast food a lot. And he has this one bit where he describes how fast food has just ruined the actual sit-down restaurant experience for him. Because when he goes to a restaurant and he sits down with others, apparently the conversation between him and the server goes like this. He tells the server, I will order the hamburger. And the server then asks, well, sir, how would you like your hamburger done? Right now. Where is it? And you, can you wrap it in paper so I feel like I'm opening a present? Or maybe put it in a little styrofoam clamshell so it's like you're presenting an engagement ring. Gluttony. I need to be instantly satisfied by food. My behavior and even my relationships are dictated by cravings. Now, I'm not even sure we can imagine this, but at least try to. Just stay with me for a moment. Imagine an economy that is not ruled by our cravings for food and sex. Now imagine if, as a society, we were free from the powers of lust and gluttony. I dare say our entire economy might collapse. Companies would be clueless on how to market to us because we would not be ruled by our cravings. Just imagine the entertainment industry, all of it, music, movies, TV, film, all that type of stuff. Just imagine if they found out that it was no longer profitable for them to use excessive sex appeal to sell their products. Yeah, it's laughable, right? Scary laughable. Now, friends, here's another underrated truth that we don't talk about in the church enough. Sexuality is a gift from God. We haven't taught that enough in the church as a whole. Your body is created good. No matter how young, how old, your body's created good. Frankly, God could have made procreation really painful. 
but God made sex enjoyable. And it's a gift meant for, hopefully, lifelong partnership. But that doesn't mean it exists alone for our own personal gratification. And that's something we don't understand both inside and outside the church. It's not just about us as individuals. It's about two people being deeply connected together that goes beyond just a physical act. As Frederick Buechner writes, sex is sinful to the degree that instead of drawing you closer to another human being in their humanness, it unites bodies but leaves the lives inside of them hungrier and more alone than before. Unites bodies but leaves the lives inside of them hungrier and more alone than before. Now, admittedly, in the church, we have been far too shameful about sex. We don't talk about it. But the reality is, is that this is a gift from God. And we are created as sexual beings, whether we're single, married, or anything and everything in between. And when we water down the gift that is sexuality, saying... Oh, it's just a physical thing, or it's just not that important, it's just about us feeling good. We aren't treating the gift as sacred. And that's what has allowed it to be made, that's one of the reasons why it has become so easy for it to become a vice, is because we don't treat it as valuable. Because it's a gift because it draws us together with another human being and isn't something that's just impulsive for our own self-gratification. Lust tries to convince us that what matters in our sexual life is just getting our own desires met. But the reality of how God has created us, whether we are in church every Sunday or not, God has created humanity as a whole with the sexuality that is not just an individual act alone. Lust tries to convince us that sex is just about our own physical desires. And when we fall into that belief, that trap, we miss out on one of God's greatest gifts. What both of our scripture verses are referring to is that there are Christians at the times when these were being talked about and written, who are new Christians, and their philosophy around their faith was that, well, now Jesus has come. I believe in Jesus. I get to do whatever I want. If they wanted to feed their body, they could do that. If they wanted to indulge their stomach, they could do that because there is freedom in Jesus Christ. And both the author of Philippians and 1 John respond to that by saying, not so fast, my friends. That's not how this works at all. There are things that may have been legal for them to do, but they weren't what leads to wholeness.
they only lead you closer to yourself and not in a good way. So what we're left with is good news. Because God has a vision for our relationship for, with food and sex that does, in fact, lead to wholeness. It's not just about avoidance like we tend to think it is. The antidote for lust and gluttony is making room in our life for deep and meaningful relationships where we trust others in our shared humanity. So when you gather around the table, whenever that is, even if the food got a little burnt, if it's not your type of dish, doesn't tingle your taste buds, or if it just didn't turn out great, you can still experience joy with food. And your romantic relationships, they're about sharing life together, not just something to get a quick fix from. All of this is about doing and sharing life together with people, even if you're single. Finding people with whom you can be your true self with. Those whom God has given you who remind you that it has never been good for us to go through life completely alone. Bishop Will Willimon writes, God does not expect heroic individualism from us but rather membership in a family, a new people, a holy nation called Israel and church. We don't need to be heroes in the faith on our own. That is why we need to be so deeply compassionate with each other, especially around these sins of lust and gluttony. Because shaming people is so very easy and it happens far too often. Because here's the thing with lust and gluttony. They tend to strike any individual when we are most vulnerable. They're not committed by people with evil motives for the most part, but are done when people feel lonely, empty, hurt, distracted, frustrated. And in those times, we need to lean in with each other, not judge each other for struggling. The remedy for lust and gluttony is grace. Grace for ourselves, and grace to give to others. Now going to end the sermon the same way we have every week in Lent. It's a prayer of confession from author Henry Nowen in his book, A Cry for Mercy. Yes, Lord, I have to die with you, through you, and in you, and thus become ready to recognize you when you reappear me in your res appear to me in your resurrection. There's so much in me that needs to die, false attachments, greed, and anger, impatience, and stinginess. O oh, Lord, I am self-centered, concerned about myself, my career, my future, my name, and fame. Often I even feel that I use you to my own advantage. Yes, Lord, I know it is true. I know that often I have spoken about you, written about you, and acted in your name for my own glory and success. 
Your name has not led me to persecution, oppression, or rejection. Your name has brought me rewards. I see how clearly how little I've died with you, really gone your way and been faithful to it. O oh Lord, make this Lenten season different from the other ones. Let me find you again. Amen.